This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. The time has come again for producers to make their Farm Bill, ARC, or PLC elections. The deadline is March 15th, but FSA offices would prefer you not wait until the last day. ARC or PLC can be a difficult choice as both programs are based upon past and future grain prices and yields. There is no certainty when it comes to making the election, so we just have to go with the best knowledge that we have available. Without going too far into the details, PLC payments start when commodity prices, averaged by the marketing year, drop below a reference price. ARC is more complex as its payments start with the combination of the marketing year average and county yields drop below a certain point. Generally, PLC pays more with low commodity prices, and ARC payments have caps. So, when making the election, it ends up being a functional question. Choose PLC if there's an expectation of low market prices. If not, then choose ARC. So, let's take a look to see if PLC is expecting a payment for each common grain commodity. Historically, we in Milo have had good PLC payment rates. Corn has had a small payment rate, and soybeans have yet to have any PLC payment. In the past, farmers have largely chosen PLC for wheat, milo, and corn, and ARC for soybeans. However, last year the commodity prices rose enough that not one commodity received a PLC payment, and this is likely to be a case again this year. The marketing year runs from September of 2023 to August of 2024, except for wheat, which runs from June to May. Right now, the marketing year average, which for this coming year will be compared to, is 370 for corn. 840 for soybeans, 550 for wheat, and 395 for milo. Futures are way above this right now. Market prices would have to drop considerably after this coming harvest for there to be PLC payments in any of the commodities. ARC, however, uses both a benchmark price and the county average yields. Making a marking year estimation for this past year, even though it's not quite over yet, is 665 for corn, 655 for milo, 14.35 for soybeans and 9.25 for wheat. The county yields will have to be less than half of the average to trigger an ARC payment. Here in southeast Kansas and much of western Kansas, this was actually the case in 2022. There might actually be ARC payments for this past year. The benchmark prices will increase some for this coming year, but again, the county averages would have to be pretty dismal to trigger ARC payments. However, as any farmer knows, that is possible any year. Given the likelihood of receiving PLC payments has dropped as market prices have increased, many farmers are largely moving to ARC. Still, last year, nearly half of all farmers are enrolled in PLC for Milo and Wheat, which used to be the better paying program before 2020. So, in the end, what I'm saying is that while choosing ARC or PLC is always a gamble for better payments, right now it's a much more likely gamble that will have yet another severe yield loss year favoring ARC rather than commodity prices being cut in half, favoring PLC. One caveat, though, is that supplemental coverage option is only available for the PLC enrollment, though not many farmers use this option. If you need to change your election, make sure that you get to your FSA office by March 15th. K-State Ag Economics has a number of recent publications and tools that can be used to estimate payments and help make decisions. If you need help finding these resources, please give me a call at 620 724-8233. This has been James Cooper with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. There are many reasons for weak or stillborn calves. 
Most are in the wait and see column. But there is something that needs to be on the cattle producer's mind right now about calving season. With the drought situation and the lack of fresh forages for livestock to eat, most in Southeast Kansas are consuming a diet largely consisting of preserved forage. You know, hay. Fresh green forages contain very high levels of vitamin A, so it's rare for this deficiency to occur during a normal pasture season. The problems occur during drought conditions and when grasses become dormant, making vitamin A deficiency primarily a winter issue. Forages harvested still green in color will contain some vitamin A, but at very low levels. Being the least stable of all the vitamins, elevated temperatures and long days of sunlight of hay season cause most vitamin A to oxidize and disappear. Cows on green pasture will store vitamin A enough to last two to four months. Outside of those months, most herds will offer a trace mineral vitamin pack. However, it's common to still see deficiencies in supplemented herds. Some mineral packs don't contain the appropriate amount of vitamin A. Normal, free choice mineral and vitamin supplement dosage is two to four ounces per head per day. To meet the needs of a 1400 pound cow that only consumes two ounces of mineral, the supplement needs to have 300,000 international units of vitamin A per pound. A majority of supplements contain half that. Another supplement consideration is the intake variation among cows. Some research suggests that up to 14% of cows don't consume any dry mineral supplement at all and others eat varying amounts. Lastly, it doesn't matter what level of vitamin A is contained in the supplement if it isn't consistently available for livestock to snack on. I've mentioned that vitamin A is unstable. Standard feeds lose about 1% per month, but when coupled with a trace mineral, as with most supplement packs, the loss increases to 9%. Product purchased six months ago may only contain half the vitamin A now. What are the alternatives to cool season forages or purchasing supplements on an as-needed basis? In some cases, injectable vitamin A makes sense. If a herd is presently experiencing a deficiency, an injection to cows yet to calve will have immediate effects. Keep in mind that the injectable vitamin A still has a short period of effectiveness, one to two months. So timing is critical. Excessive vitamin A can be toxic. Use your vet's advice on product and dosage. For more information, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, natural resource and diversified ag agent, with her report. This is a David Scrantz, one of the agriculture and natural resource agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. If you are thinking of raising chickens, you should first consider the following questions. Are there city ordinances or homeowner association restrictions that restrict raising poultry in the location being considered? Is there a source of feed available for growing the type of chickens you want to raise? Is the time and or manpower available to care for the chickens? And who will look after the chickens when you go out of town? Is suitable housing available for the flock size you are considering raising? 
If you plan to use your new flock as a source of income, is there a market for the product? For example, if you were to raise laying hens, is there a local market for eggs? Are facilities available for processing broilers or would you be able to process them yourself? Once you have considered the previous questions, the next step is to choose which breed you are going to raise. Chickens available today have been genetically bred for specific purposes. For example, meat birds have been bred for increased meat yield and improved feed conversion rates. They usually will not lay enough eggs to make it economically feasible to keep them beyond the broiler fryer age. Likewise, layers have been bred for increased egg production and smaller bodies. They will not grow rapidly enough to make good meat producers. There are some dual-purpose breeds available. With these breeds, it is sometimes desirable to process the males for food and keep the females for egg production. The breeds should be selected for the purpose desired. Most hatcheries can determine the sex of day-old chicks and will separate males from females if requested. Once you have decided what type of chickens you want to raise, next you will need to determine if you want to buy chicks or adults. Purchasing chicks from a hatchery is a common way to get birds for either meat or egg production. Purchasing chicks from a hatchery that participates in the National Poultry Improvement Plan will ensure that the birds have tested clean of certain diseases or have been produced under disease prevention conditions. Additionally, chicks can be purchased from various farm supply stores. Often, there will be options to purchase straight-run chickens or pullets. Straight-run refers to just hatched and will result in approximately half females and half males. Thank you, David. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. Floral bouquets are a welcome gift this time of year. All bouquets will eventually die, but the following tips can help lengthen the life of your arrangement. First, cut the stems of the bouquet as soon as you get them. Plants clot wounds much in the same way our immune systems do, so making a fresh cut will break the plug and allow water to be taken up by the stem to delay wilting. You should also use a sharp knife instead of scissors if possible. Cutting the stem with scissors will pinch the tissue shut at the base, making it harder for water to be taken up by the stem. Only one inch of the stem should be taken off with any single cut. Additionally, the cut should be made while the stem is underwater. When the cut is made, air will rush into the stem to fill the area of lower pressure. By cutting the stem underwater, water will flow into the stem instead of air and give you a head start on prolonging the life of your arrangement. Flowers come in two forms, arrangements and loose stems. There are several additional steps to care for loose stem bouquets that you won't have to worry about if you're buying a pre-made arrangement. The most important is plant food. Typically, loose stem bouquets will come with plant food to add to the eventual container, whereas arrangements will already have plant food added to the water of the container they come in. If you can't get your loose stemmed bouquet into your food solution right away, store the flowers in a cool place. When it's time to put them in their new home, 
Follow the directions on the plant food package to make the nutrient solution. Prep the flowers by cutting the stems as described previously, and remove any leaves that will be below the waterline to inhibit bacterial growth. Flowers that come as arrangements will already have this done, taking a lot of the work out of keeping your flowers healthy. Flowers that have wilted may have plugged its previous cut up again and will need a new cut to draw up more water. To prevent wilting, keep the flowers in a cooler area away from ceiling fans, vents, direct sunlight, and radiators. This will reduce the water loss from the flowers through transpiration. Water should be replaced at least once every other day and immediately when the water becomes cloudy. If the flowers still wilt, make a fresh cut at the base of the stem to allow for the uptake of more water. Increasing humidity in the room where the bouquet is stored will also prolong the flowers as plants lose less water in high humidity environments. If flowers continue to wilt, even in this environment, they may be exposed to too much ethylene gas, which will shorten the lifespan of the flowers. Move the bouquet away from any fruits or vegetables they might be nearby, and make sure furnaces and fireplaces are venting properly to minimize exposure to the ethylene. For more information on today's topic, contact your local extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Court Report. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.